and welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. My guest today is a psychological consultant with a focus on emotional intelligence and leadership and a very interesting career path that I'm excited for him to share with us today. His name is Dr. Len Wisaki. Dr. Wisaki completed his PhD in psychology at the young age of 49 years old after a 20-year career in business human resource management in Fortune 500 companies, where he moved from supervisor roles to vice president positions. He made this change because he saw very bright leaders making very bad mistakes, leading to their losing their jobs because of them. Now he works through coaching to help leaders avoid, avoid those pitfalls. Len, welcome to the show. Hi. How are you doing, nervous? Len, I'm, I'm really glad you uh, decided to come on the show and you have such an interesting career. I, I really want to hear more about your path and your story. Uh, you know, tell us about your experiences as an HR manager and how that work influenced your pursuit in advanced education and psychology. Well, you know, it, it's kind of a, a short story. I, I started off uh, thinking that HR was going to be what I did for the rest of my life. Uh, and I had done a master's degree back in the late 70s, and I, I worked for U.S. Steel and uh, a few other Fortune 500 companies, Aerospace, Pratt Whitney, whatnot. And I started to see a trend, and regardless of what industry I worked in, whether it be aerospace or advertising or banking or steel or nuclear manufacturing, and it was pretty much the same. It was essentially what you just said. Very smart individuals who were individual contributors moved up the ladder and whose corporations felt that uh, they would be great managers or directors or vice presidents. And because they lacked emotional intelligence uh, and a lot mm -hmm. of common sense in managing people, uh, they ended up making very severe mistakes, which ultimately may often, many times, got them fired. And unfortunately... What kind of mistakes are you talking about? Uh, mistakes in managing people, in uh, not understanding particular situations, uh, pushing on quantitative measurement rather than uh, understanding them as human beings, uh, mm -hmm. compassion, lacking empathy when it was uh, important for them to do so. Uh, and then I, I took, I, I became, after I got my doctorate, I worked teaching at the university level in the MBA program and also the industrial organizational psychology graduate program. And I found that, mm -hmm. you know, my boss was typical of, of a person who really invested in me. He was what we call a servant leader. And as mm. a result of that, I would do somersaults for him. I would do anything he requested of me because I knew that he wanted to develop me. And that was the key that actually uh, what I learned in emotional intelligence and working at University of Connecticut during my doctorate. Mm. Uh, and I was very lucky at the time to work with uh, Peter mm. Salovey, who's currently the president of Yale University. On a measurement tool uh, that actually measures and gauges emotional intelligence. And the, mm. the, uh, the empathy and the compassion and the ability to understand the person, to develop the person, was the key for motivation as far as I was concerned. And my own personal experience and my professional experience working with executives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that sounds like a really interesting story, Lynn, especially... First, getting the experience of what not to do, right? Watching some of these executives uh, and seeing the mistakes that they were doing. It's, I love the examples you mentioned, lack of empathy and caring about your people. And then you had the opportunity to actually see an example of how it should be done yeah. in, in your mentor, 
right? And and that really led you to to um, continue to pursue this in psychology. Am I am I phrasing that correctly? Pretty much so. Yeah, I, I can't take credit for being sought after. I was sought after by some 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 consulting companies while I was teaching graduate school, um, and I realized that I was able to utilize my doctoral work and especially my focus on emotional intelligence in my coaching for the past 15 years, uh, emotional mm-hmm. intelligence, working with the different executives, primarily at this point with pharmaceutical industries. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I found it to be very uh, correct and very rewarding uh, in, in a, a two-way situation in the coaching gratification mm. that comes from seeing people grow. So let's talk a little bit more about the work that you do now, Lynn, because you, you, I know you work with uh, executives through coaching. How do you use coaching to help these leaders avoid some of these mistakes that, that you've seen them make in the past? Well, you know, it, it kind of goes back to uh, to becoming a trusted leadership advisor where I had originally met you. Uh, I was mm-hmm. one uh, medical doctor for about 12 years, uh, and uh, we got to a point where I, he would bring scenarios to me. And this happens also in my short-term coaching engagement, say six months, eight mm-hmm. months, uh, where the, the leader brings a particular complex situation with an employee, a subordinate of his or hers. And as mm-hmm. a result of that, uh, they, they have a, a, an ability to have uh, a non-judgmental professional uh, to bounce these ideas off of. How should I go in? How should I respond in, in, you know, in this kind of thing? And what I found is that having somebody who you trust as a coach or even as a close comrade in your profession uh, allows you to see uh, a situation from more than one perspective. And this enables Hmm. them to become a better leader. Hmm. So, I mean, these are these are well-seasoned leaders who have years of experience, but they're coming to you for that behavioral aspect, right? They're coming to you to figure out their behavioral side. Typically, they have a tremendous amount of experience in their field, and mm-hmm. them to uh, to be a mentor uh, to subordinates who are working in a very highly technical field. However, mm-hmm. necessarily have as much experience in management in coaching. Mm-hmm. And being able to to drive uh, the working to, to get work done through the people, uh, mm-hmm. and and I found this to be true in all industries I've worked in, in manufacturing and aerospace and, and banking, advertising, and it's uh, when push comes to shove, it's really about understanding what motivates the individual. Every individual is different, and the motivation mm-hmm. it takes to work with one individual may be different from another. And to be able to be a good listener and to implore the opportunity to utilize their emotional intelligence to pick up on various cues that come from coordinates mm-hmm. gives them the opportunity to become a servant leader. And I use that term because I think that is truly the best way to manage really bright people who are motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we've we've talked about uh, servant leadership previously on this show in one of the, the episodes, and, and I that's one of the, the my favorite uh, leadership approaches. It sounds like you're also talking about you know helping these leaders understand how to how to recognize different aspects of emotional um, behavior, right? Because that we're talking about emotional intelligence on the part of the leader, really to be able to better understand the people that they're working with. Talk to us a little bit about why you think that's really important for the leader to be able to understand those things to improve their leadership ability. I think it's crucial for a leader to understand those things 
for the purpose of motivating the individual to work hard, to continue to work mm -hmm. hard, and to place uh, and to see the connection between working hard and their own physical and psychological development. Because mm -hmm. we all have various levels of motivation, and what typically motivates us the most, and what the research tells us, is that the breadth of decision making and understanding motivates people to, to work harder. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and this has been done in several studies over the years. Uh, and th the ability to understand the person's, uh, what, what really makes the person tick um, from a, a, a developmental point of view, uh, allows the leader to become more aware of how to motivate the individual, the subordinate. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what's so crucial. And that's what so many executives who are very intellectually smart don't necessarily have uh, at their uh, as as the repertoire behaviors that they could use. Yeah, that's a really astute observation you're making there. I think one of the things that you said that really resonated with me was these are leaders with years of experience in their field, but very little management experience. You know, they they're not they don't have the years of experience and training understanding human behavior and people. Uh, and so the point you're making here, as I'm hearing it, is it's really important to understand the people that you're working with so that you can understand what motivates them. Am I, am I capturing that correctly? Exactly. That's, that's exactly true. And, you know, it's, it's taken me half of my lifetime to figure this out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I actually focused on it in my doctoral work because I needed the credentials in order to teach this. And I, I was mm -hmm. really teaching this within my, the, the graduate school, both in the MBA program and the IO psych program, because it's so important for these future leaders in business mm -hmm to understand what it takes to become good managers, directors, and vice presidents. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that you you focused on this as part of your research. Uh, and one of the things that I know you've researched is emotional intelligence and executive work-life balance. Can you share a little bit about that research? Because I think that's really interesting because it's, it's, it's hard for anybody to manage work-life balance, especially executives. Well, you know, it's, it's especially difficult today uh, with the new uh, Generation Z and the fact that they've witnessed personally their parents and their grandparents do 30, 40, 50 hour work weeks. And then uh, unfortunately, because of business turns, uh, lose their career or get laid off. And they, mm -hmm. they, they've learned from, from witnessing this that they're going to strive to become independent and to find a work-life balance. Uh, mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. actually witnessed their parents or grandparents not having done that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's more incumbent, most incumbent more than ever for leaders to be able to understand and to develop their people to give them the motivation to stay at the mm -hmm. job. Because today, my own sons, uh, you know, are, are quick to move because they realize that, you know, it, it's, it's more about them than it is about the companies they work for. You know, because they can, if they have enough on the ball and they have enough credentials, they can move around from different companies and find that that good manager that they're really mm -hmm. to be to have, do the long haul with. People don't lose their leave their jobs; they leave their managers. Mm. I love that 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 uh, that saying. People don't leave their jobs; they leave their managers. Len, you've, you've done a lot of work coaching executives and leaders. Can you give us an example of where you've helped a leader improve their emotional intelligence so that they can help 
you know, the, the population that we're talking about here stay in the organization and, and be committed to the organization? Yeah, I, I can give you an example of a vice president I've worked with. I just finished working with recently after about a year. Uh, and this individual, uh, obviously, I can't uh, name specific companies or names for confidentiality purposes, but uh, I can tell you that this vice president uh, was very, very smart and had a very unique position in this pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and he uh, uh, had a tendency culturally to, um, to, to actually lean, uh, lean in. What I mean mm -hmm. by that is to... To, to basically be a micromanager because he was so good mm. at what he did in his own particular field that, you know, he would train by literally doing the person's work. And this would alienate a lot of the, his subordinates, especially his peers, not so much his subordinates, but his peers uh, who were not afraid to tell him when to back off. Uh, mm -hmm. What I taught him how to do was to lean with, and I, I'm taking the terms from, uh, another individual, uh, Carol Kaufman, who wrote a book, uh, Real-Time Leadership, who I, I really uh, think very highly of, uh, to, to show that it's not all my thinking. I, I sometimes use the, the different leaders I work with uh, at the city that I come from uh, to, uh, to kind of understand how to put rhetoric or, or terminology to actual behavioral and behavioral terms so people and mm -hmm. how to change their their attitudes or their behaviors. In this case, Carol came up with leaning in, leaning with, and, and not leading at all. And I basically sent him an article from this book that basically said, you need to learn how to back off and le not lean in as much as you're doing. Uh, and this is these, these are the behaviors I want you to practice. I mm -hmm. kind of call it cognitive behavioral coaching. Uh, it, it requires homework and practice because these are default behaviors that are not uh, given to, they're, they're not part of the repertoire of behaviors that most executives have. They have to relearn them. Once mm -hmm. this fellow did, he became a much better manager, much better uh, vice president and, and became more acceptable to his peers. Yeah. I, I love that example that, that you're, you're giving there. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on the, the the phrase that you mentioned there, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, um, cognitive coaching, which I'm assuming comes from cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of my uh, one of my slides as well, therapeutically. Uh, talk to us about how you were able to adapt um, what we call CBT essentially into cognitive behavioral coaching. I think that's that's such an interesting. Uh, They're very similar. They're very very similar, uh, and there's also a DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, which I'm getting certified in now. Uh, which is an offshoot of cognitive behavioral therapy. And the premise behind CBT and, and how it really plays out in, in cognitive behavioral coaching is, is almost identical in that you're dealing with a different population of executives and managers and directors and vice presidents, but people are people. And the whole idea mm -hmm. is that if you don't have a repertoire of behaviors as part of your default position, as what you've learned in, in your adulthood or in your childhood, then you, you tend to carry that, whatever you've learned, on into your mm -hmm. and also into your management styles. And mm -hmm. to, to understand emotional intelligence and to be able to utilize it in servant leadership, you basically want to be able to understand that you must practice these new behaviors, even if they're alien to you, because it's the right thing to do. It's, it's what people expect from you. 
it's why they will work hard for you and it's worth mm -hmm. right so it's so it's i mean with with cbt as you're describing it, it's really about firstly recognizing what your natural tendency behaviors are and then understanding how those may be helpful or harmful in the business environment and then identifying those behaviors that you need to really lean on, whether you have them naturally or things that you need to, as you say, develop and practice yeah. to make sure that you're then helping your employees uh, able to do their work. Better. Correct. That's such a, that's, I love that approach, Lynn. Yeah, that's, that's very right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the way that you're, um, you're helping leaders, the, the phrase that you said, you're helping leaders avoid some of those mistakes uh, that very smart individuals are, are able to to make even, right? I think what you've described there is the distinction between the IQ and the EQ, right? Talk to us a little bit about some of that that difference there. Well, it, it's not, it's it's something that was only discovered less than 10 years ago. And uh, Mayor Nintelevay, uh was working on it and a fellow by the name of Coleman actually wrote it up and it became famous because of his editorial comments. He was a, uh, he is a psychologist and he was a, editorial person in, I believe, the New York Times. I could be wrong on that. But uh, the fact that, that it became popular, it became uh, a behavior that, that is becoming more important as we go on in the technological age, where mm -hmm. things like AI and, and we become more technologically astute, but we lose the fact that we're still human beings. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. re respond to other people within business, and they are a vital component to the success of the business. And, and mm -hmm. that's why coaching is so important now, probably more important than ever, to, to do it correctly and to provide these, these leaders with, whether they be supervisors or, or uh, part of the C-suite, uh, with the critical EQ behaviors and understanding of how it is to, to lead people to do business mm -hmm. that they're familiar with. And that particular component is, is not a competency that is well understood in my uh, experience by business. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think that's something that's um, not well appreciated. And I think as one of my uh, one of my colleagues has, has mentioned, it's not a soft skill, it's a, it's a hard skill because it's a hard thing to get people to recognize and to develop. Um, Lynn, I, I know that you, you do, you do uh, coaching and you have an approach and you use testing in your approach when you do, when you do coaching. Walk us through how you use testing and how you integrate that to help people develop their, their EQ. Well, what I do uh, typically when I work with my executives, uh, even my, my directors, uh, for that matter, even managers, uh, I try to jumpstart the process by providing them with several psychometric devices uh, or, or, or tests. Uh, and you know, when you say psychometric, explain to us what that well, means. For the I mean, audience. It's like uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to use the, the the commercial names because I'm not trying to put a plug in for them. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, uh, when I was doing my dissertation, I, I became certified in the Mesquite, the Meyer Salovey Caruso Emotional Intelligence Test. I'll actually say, say that one because I did my. It's where I got my start. Uh, mm -hmm. Salovey, who was part of the, the person who created this instrument, uh, he did so to measure people's native emotional intelligence uh, as a test, and it's the only one of its kind. So I use, to your mm -hmm. question, I use that along with a couple other devices like the Hogan, and I have to kind of say them by name, to, to give uh, a, 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 as much of a total picture of the variance of behavior that, that's used by the current executives. It's what they mm -hmm. themselves. So I start 
And that's important for you as well as for the executive yeah. to see that, right? It, it is, mm -hmm. because it, it, it's in black and white. It gives them an understanding of how they operate as human beings and how they lead other human beings. And that's mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. basis from which we move towards objectives within the coaching arena. Yeah. So when you when you do those psychometric assessments, uh, do you find that generally the executives appreciate that insight, or do they push back? How do they usually re respond to well, that? Well, it, it, typically they they see it as facts, as as something they said about themselves. So it's difficult to d dispute, and uh, mm -hmm. it, typically it's measured against. It's usually a valid and reliable measurement that takes hundreds and thousands of people from across the world and how to measure mm -hmm. up against them based on the certain criteria that's being measured and it, it's difficult to dispute so typically they understand and they accept it because it is almost it's like a test but it is mm -hmm. so to speak and it's it's great because it gives us a starting place of where they are behaviorally and what they need to know, to do to move into an area where they become more productive mm. Yeah, Len, I really appreciate you giving us this insight into the, the psychometrics of the assessments that you use there. I think it's really important for the audience and for leaders to understand what are these tests that, you know, that we ask them to take and how does it help them? And how does it help us better understand them? So I really appreciate you pulling back the curtain there as one of my other colleagues. Has well, that's okay. Yeah, that's that's what I do. And it saves time too. Yeah, Lynn, we, you know, we could we could chat for, you know, for a, a long time, but I want to be respectful of time. Uh, and, and I know you do great work. So how do people contact you if they want to, you know, get your services or continue the conversation with you? The fastest way to, to contact me is through my website. And it's just uh, Leonard Wysocki, Ph.D. Uh, and mm -hmm. if, if you do that, you'll come up to a website and there's there's a, a podcast on there as well as video. Uh, examples of what I do and how I do it, and there's a form mm -hmm. on there to, to actually contact me. So it's it's literally my name plus phd.com, uh, and awesome. that's that's a website that uh, that I use, you know, on all my emails and I uh, use on the web for people to actually reach out to me if they would so choose. Great. And then, Lynn, I, I like to take advantage of the experts that we have on the show and ask, you know, what's a piece of advice that you give to business leaders in this environment now that we're in? The, the simplest, most direct piece of uh, advice I would give is, uh, and I can't take credit for this, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, it, it comes from mm -hmm. a proverb that is, it comes from a much wiser person than myself. But it's essentially, you know, Every time you, you give a command or you give a directive, people see something coming from their bosses as, uh, as, as a rule and, and mm -hmm. to, 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 to have a reaction to it, but they typically do it until it's time that they feel that they need to leave. So mm -hmm. before that happens, they should actually think about how would I react if I was given this directive? Mm. And, and that's, that would, hopefully that would give them pause to, to think about, uh, you know, whether it's appropriate or not to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that advice. It sort of reminds me of the golden rule, right? Treat others as how you would you would want to be treated. And I think that's such exactly. a such an important thing for, for, for all of us to remember, especially because sometimes in, in the heat of the moment, as you mentioned with, with emotional intelligence, if you aren't if you aren't used to those behaviors, you know, that that encourage you to stop and to think, you may you may um, you know behave rashly. And I think that you know, keeping in mind that 
do do unto others as you'd want to do unto yourself is, is really important. Yeah, and, and to keep in mind the fact that also we don't know what we don't know. So this is where mm-hmm. coaching becomes very important. If a person is not able to understand through their own reflection the best way to use uh, developmental efforts such as empathy or compassion, then it mm-hmm. would help them. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what I found to be true with many of my uh, clients who come from, who are very smart, who come from different uh, backgrounds and, uh, you know, in diversity in manufacturing, aerospace, pharmaceutical industries, etc., cetera, uh, who are not reinforced because of their emotional intelligence, but are reinforced mm-hmm. because of what they know. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I, that's that's such a key point, right? Just a, it's a, so important to remind all of us that we are a confluence of our behaviors, of our experiences, and all of those things play into how we how we behave, how we act in any given moment. And so, just 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 bringing that to the forefront and helping us all to try to be more mindful of that, right? Just not for ourselves, but for other people as well. I think it's it's such important work. I appreciate the work that you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, Lynn, thanks for coming on the show. It's been so much fun, and I really appreciate you pulling back the curtain and sharing with us some of the, the really great stuff that you do. And I really love your, your career path. That's such a, such a great uh, set of experiences that you had. Well, the, the, good, the good thing for me is that it makes me want to go forward at this point in my career where I'm actually working finally for myself at an advanced age. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening. And to our listeners, we hope that you will join us next time. Thank you.